Okay, we're finally ready. As far back as I can remember, it's been believed and taught that we are living in the Laodicean period of church history, at least in the Western world. I'm not sure if I totally buy that because I see examples of all the seven churches we find in Revelations 2 through 3 in all the generations of church history. But what we're addressing uh, in our lessons on total commitment does, does relate to the character of the church at ancient Laodicea. You'll remember that the Lord Jesus complained that this church was neither cold nor hot. They were somewhere in between, lukewarm, tepid, half-hearted. And I don't know about you, but uh, when I drink something, I either like it hot or cold. I don't like it in between. I like my coffee hot and my tea hot or my tea cold. But there's not very many things I can think of that I really like to drink that are, you know, in between, lukewarm, tepid. And uh, uh, if you're lukewarm, Jesus said, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. And he goes on to say, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. So he wants us to be wholehearted. He wants us to be committed and dedicated. And there are many professing Christians who need to take heed to those words because the Lord will rebuke us and chastise us to get us to that place. Now, last time we looked at the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy to address this issue of total commitment or being wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord. And our text was taken from chapter 10 in Deuteronomy. <coughs> Excuse me. And just to uh, help us understand what we talked about, let me read to you uh, the, the first uh, couple of verses here that we dealt with, beginning in verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes which I command you to do today for your good. So the Lord is outlining what he expects of us. When he says all your heart and all your soul, that depicts total commitment. The way that you and I ought to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the Lord expects. And he, he, he supplies everything we need to meet his expectations. And there are many... Uh, uh, we have far more means to be able to do this now in our day than, we, than the, the ancient Israelites did in their day. So today we're going to look to the second point uh, in what I want to share with you. And this is clearly brought out in the 11th chapter. So we're moving forward in the book of Deuteronomy. And we see, uh, again, these all-important phrases being repeated to us at the head of every paragraph. At chapter uh, 11, verse 1, Therefore you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, his commandments, and so forth as we go through this passage. And you'll note that that is a conditional sentence. If you will do this, God says, I will do that. I will bless you. That's the main point. The Lord blesses total commitment. 
And conversely, if you will not commit yourself to him completely, then you open yourself up to the curse of chastisement. And we see this at verse 26. Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. So he's giving you a choice every day. To, uh, to follow him. And if you do, he can bless you. If not, he cannot. So let's ask the Lord this morning to help us to be co- totally committed so we can experience his blessing throughout life. Our Heavenly Father, once again, we're thankful that your word gives us instruction about what you want us to do. And we're thankful, Lord, that Uh, Even in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, we find principles that apply to us today. And we know, Lord, that if we will seek your face and obey your commands and be totally committed to you, then you can bless us, Lord, spiritually and help us to grow. And we pray, Lord, that today uh, we would see that and we would seek your blessings through total commitment. Help us, Lord, to obey your word today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In the first seven verses of chapter 11, we find another motivation for this total commitment that we've been talking about. And uh, verse 1 can be interpreted as a conclusion to what's gone before because it repeats the main thought, the main phrase in chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, but also it's a good beginning to what follows because what follows really adds to what, the, the, uh, uh, what Moses wants to tell us and the uh, nation of Israel. So it's, it's introducing us to expansion on what he's already said. Now, the first seven verses serve here as a motivation for being wholehearted as Israel entered the land of promise. And we can state it in this way. God's actions in the past serve as a motivation to commit to him in the present. In other words, if God acted a certain way in the past, he can act in that way now. And if he can act that way now, then we can do his commandments. And we can be motivated to serve him. Now, this again is stated negatively and positively. So let's see how Moses develops his argument here uh, to the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. Know today that I do not speak with your children who have not known, who have not seen the chastening of the Lord your God, his greatness and his mighty hand and his outstretched arm. All right, so uh, who is he talking to? He's not talking to the children of the people that are now before him and ready to go into the promised land. He's, uh, He's speaking to the group that is left that started out wandering in the wilderness, the oldest of which were only 20 years old. Everyone else, God said, was going to be judged. They were going to die in the wilderness. So now we have a group of people. They're aged from 40 to 60 years old. They are the parents and the grandparents of the next generation. 
They had witnessed how God had both chastised the people and provided for them to get through the wilderness wandering because they really missed the purpose of God. They had not been faithful to him and believing they could go up and conquer the land. Now a new generation is about ready to do that. So those who remain had experienced the Lord's greatness, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm on many occasions. And then he gives us some examples of that. Look, if you will, at verse 3. His signs and his acts, which he did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to all his land. What he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and their chariots, how he made the waters of the Red Sea overflow them as they pursued you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day. So he destroyed the main enemy of the nation of Israel, which was Egypt. And that was his great act of redemption for the Old Testament people of God. And it kind of parallels Christ's redemption for us when he died on the cross to save us from our sin, deliver us from sin. Uh, But Pharaoh, uh, after the ten plagues were delivered and their land was devastated, he said, okay, you can go, you can get out of here. But then he changed his mind and he pursued them to the Red Sea and they were caught between a rock and a hard place. There was no place for them to go. They had no weapons to defend themselves. So what did God do? He opened up the, the sea and they crossed over on dry land. And Pharaoh thought, well, we'll go right after them. And he went in there with his chariots and the soldiers. And God caused the sea to close up again over them. And it destroyed them. And even 40 years later, they had really no power to harm the Israelites. So God uh, judged Israel. They saw what he did. They saw the miracles. And that should serve to help them obey him now. Then in verse 5, what he did for you in the wilderness until you came to this place. So God took care of them every step of the way. He gave them manna, bread from heaven, for them to eat. He led them to the watering places. Uh, He he gave them meat on occasion. And uh, he caused their clothes not to wear out. Imagine young people having to wear the same set of clothes every day. Wouldn't like that very much, would we? But the Lord kept them in these ways right up until this point in time. So they saw the Lord's providential care. And then again, he mentions chastisement in the wilderness. Verse 6, what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, the son of Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, their households, their tents, and all the substance that was in their position in the midst of of all Israel. Now that was a group of people who rebelled against the Lord. They rebelled against Aaron's priesthood. They rebelled against Moses, their leader. And God judged them pretty much immediately. And uh, he told Moses to separate from that group of people and wherever they were at, the earth actually opened up and they all went into the earth and were judged. And they saw that. They saw that if you rebel against God, you're going to face some real harsh consequences. And verse 7, but your eyes have seen every great act of the Lord which he did, whether it was chastisement, punishment, judgment, or providential care and getting you to the place that you are today. So this generation witnessed all these amazing events. 
And that served as a proof to them how God acts in the past. He will continue to act in the present because he is God. And we too have experienced God's power and his might in many ways, not only in his word, but in our life experiences. Since he has saved us and cared us, uh, cared for us and helped uh, us in the past, he will continue to do that in the present. But we have to be committed. He wants to bless us, he will bless us, but we have to be faithful to him. Now in the rest of the passage here, we see at least three ways that God blesses total commitment. So let's look at those. First of all, if we're totally committed, the Lord will bless us with abundant life. And we see that in the next couple of paragraphs, beginning in verse 8. Now, as I mentioned before, the promised land is not really a picture of heaven. The promised land is a picture of abundant life provided by God to his obedient, faithful, committed people. In the Old Testament, that abundance was associated with material blessing, but peace and safety in the land that God gave to them. So you're blessed because you're not fighting wars. You're blessed because people aren't coming in and stealing all your stuff. Uh, you're blessed because God is bringing in the crops and he's taking care of you. And you, you even have more than what you need. Now, in the New Testament, we find that God blesses us as well in spiritual ways that are also connected to our personal peace and safety, our inheritance in Christ, and the abundant life God promises to give believers. Now, as we look at these verses here, we're going to see that the abundant life is one that is totally dependent on the Lord. Verse 8, therefore, and again, we, we are, have this repeated over and over. Therefore, you shall keep every commandment which I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give your fathers, to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. So the Lord promised to give Israel their own land, a great land. The idea of flowing with milk and honey uh, signifies goodness and abundance coming from God. And obedience to God's commands was necessary to give them the spiritual strength they need to enter that land, to trust God, and thus derive the blessings from God. Now, all this implies faith because the source of Israel's chastisement in the wilderness was due to their lack of faith, their disobedience, their rebellion to what God wanted them to do, go in and take the land. Now, Moses then cites for us the difference between the land they came out of and the land they were going to go into. In verse 10, he says, For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt. The land of Egypt was a fertile land, but it was a land dependent upon man's works, the hard work, of man. And he goes on to say, 
from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. Now, what's that mean? Well, there's hardly any rainfall in Egypt. Where did they get their water from? Well, you know, they got it from the Nile River. And every year, the Nile River would overflow its banks. And what they would do is they would dig out ponds. They would dig out irrigation ditches. And when the waters began to recede, those places would be filled up. And they devised these uh, pump-like devices that you, you kind of pedaled like a bicycle. And you pump the water from the ditch or the pond out into your field, or you got buckets and you carried it out. That's a lot of hard work. It was man's work. They were doing it. They weren't depending upon uh, the one true God. They were doing the work themselves. And God says, the land I'm sending you to isn't like that. Now, obviously, they will have to work the land, cultivate the land. That was the curse put upon mankind. But they would have to depend upon the Lord, not the river Nile, not the gods of the Egyptians, but the Lord. He says in verse 10, for the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt. Down in verse 11, but the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from where? The rain of heaven. A land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. So it's a place that depends upon the heavens, which God, uh, the rain which God controls. But God has his eye on that land. He favors that land. He's done so from the beginning and he will continue to do so in the future. But you have to be committed. You have to trust. You have to have faith. That's the whole implication here, really, pretty much of this paragraph, is you've got to trust God to give you the rain that you need, to give you the land that he's promised, and once you get in there, to continue to trust him and believe him because it's a great land, and we don't have to get the idea that it's all our work that's made this possible. It's God's work. So total commitment is a result of faith. Obedience to God's commands is evidence of faith, that you love God and you keep his commandments. And then he goes on to say that total commitment is necessary to draw upon God's supply, his continued care for us. We go down to verse 13. Here again, you noting here that the beginning of every paragraph We've got the same admonition. Do you think God really wants us to uh, be committed to him? Look at verse 13. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. So here again is that total commitment. Wholeheartedness. Then I will give you the rain from your land in its season, The early rain, the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine, and your oil. I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. So what does God say? This is the conditional phrase. If you're committed to me, if you'll obey me, if you'll love me, 
then I'm going to bless you. I'm going to send the rain that you need that will provide for the crops and your livestock. The rain uh, was uh, the, the greatest thing they needed to trust in. And God says, you'll get the rain, I'll take care of you, but you've got to be committed to me. All right, so the abundance depends on your relationship to God, your trusting in him, your commitment to him, and he will supply your needs. Now, let's relate this to what the New Testament promises. God promises in the New Testament that he'll supply all of our needs in Christ, doesn't he? Not just physical needs. Those are the least things, but, but great spiritual needs, primarily that. So what kind of a life did Jesus promise to his followers? You remember when he says, I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly? Abundant life. That was the context of the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep and he gives them not just physical life, but eternal life. As God promised to bless Israel with water from heaven, what did Jesus say? He said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, his innermost being, shall flow what? Rivers of living water. And the Apostle John goes on to explain what that means. That means the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He will give you abundance of spiritual life, spiritual blessings. Not long ago, we went through the book of Ephesians. How does the Apostle Paul uh, begin his teaching in that book? Well, in the third verse, he says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Spiritual blessings. Then he goes and he names a a number of them. Our election and grace, our sanctification, our adoption as sons, our redemption, forgiveness of sins, our heavenly inheritance. These are all spiritual blessings God wants us to enter into. We have them, but are we experiencing them? And of course, we do not work for those. We depend upon God for those. We receive them by faith through God's grace. But if we're not committed, if we're not dedicated to the Lord, we'll never begin to fully experience any of them. We can't be satisfied with a half-hearted desire to follow the Lord because he can't really fully bless us. The abundant life is associated with total commitment, even in the New Testament. Now, Moses ends that section with a warning. Look at verse 16. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Now that's a big bad sign of non-commitment or being committed to the wrong thing. Lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain and the land yield no produce and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. So if you're not committed, if you're not going to be faithful, how can the Lord then bless you for unfaithfulness? So again, very serious. 
So the abundant life that God promises is based on his grace, but we have to have faith. We have to be committed to the Lord. Now, the second thing we see here is this. If we're committed to the Lord, he will bless us with a holy heritage. Psalm 126 says, children are a heritage from the Lord. Blessed is the man who has his quiver full of them. And one of life's great blessings is to see our children come to know the Lord and to serve him in their life. And surely our life, our commitment to him will have a great impact on our children for good. Now look what Moses stresses here, beginning in verse 18. And again, this heads a paragraph, the same admonition repeated slightly differently. Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. Now, the verb to lay up here actually means to treasure, to lay up like a treasure, to store like a treasure, something that you consider valuable. You put it in a safe place. You store it up. Well, we're to do this with God's words, the Bible, his word. We're to store it up in our heart, in our innermost being, in our soul, And bind them as a sign to your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Now, what's that mean? Well, a frontlet in that day was just a little leather box. And in that little leather box, you could actually place maybe a a verse or two of Scripture. You put it in there, close it up, and then it had a leather strap, and you put it right here. And you strapped it around your head. So that as you went through life, God's word was right in front of your eyes. It was a reminder that they were to be obedient to the word of God. And not only that, they were responsible to teach these things to your children. Speaking of them, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So everywhere you went was a teaching experience for your family. There were opportunities to live and share God's word. You teach your children when you sit down, when you go out and take a walk, when they get up in the morning, when they go to bed at night. And every situation in life can be a teaching situation. You can teach them when they do something wrong as a teaching moment. You can teach them when they do something right as a teaching moment. And the way you live before them teaches them reverence for and faith in and obedience to Christ. And notice what he says here in verse 21. The purpose of all this is that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied, prolonged in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them like the days of the heavens above the earth. So what does that mean? Well, that doesn't merely allude to extended life on the earth. That doesn't mean we're all going to live to be 100. We teach our children God's word so they might know him, 
they might come to him for salvation and they might serve him in their generation and that will prolong life. Not just physical life, but eternal life that God promises us. That's the only way that life is going to be forever prolonged, by trusting the Lord Jesus. Uh, My wife's been reading a book about Charles Spurgeon's wife, Susie. And uh, she did a little research on Spurgeon's family and found that even now, even today, their great-great-grandchildren are actively involved in service to the Lord. That's a generational thing. What a lasting heritage that goes back several generations to committed Christians. My grandchildren, our grandchildren, are at least the fifth generation of believers on both sides of our family. Why is that? Well, it's largely because the grace of God broke in somewhere in the past, and the people who were saved uh, realized they had a commitment to the next generation, and so they committed themselves to the spiritual education of their children, and what a wonderful blessing that is that you have a generational expansion of your family because you taught the truth to your children. So that's a great blessing. And then we find in verse 22 to 25, if we're committed to the Lord, he'll bless us with victorious living. He'll help us defeat the enemies of the soul. Now look at what he says here. Verse 22, here we have it again. For if you carefully keep all these commandments, which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to hold him fast, repeats that over and over again. Do you think that he might say um, uh, K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid? He repeats it over and over. We need a lot of repeating because we forget very quickly. If you'll do this, then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you, and you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourselves. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours, from the wilderness in Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even to the western sea, the Mediterranean, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand against you. The Lord God will put the dread of you and the fear of you upon all the land where you tread, just as he said to you. He will defeat your enemies. You will will cause them to flee. Even if you think they're greater than you are and mightier than you are, like the Anakim, the giants, God will dispossess them. Victory characterizes believers when they're totally committed. You're all aware that we have enemies of the soul, and and they're great enemies. They're tough enemies. They're, number one, ourself, the old man, the flesh, the old nature, the world in which we live, which is not godly, and which always is pulling us away from God, and the devil who sends out his henchmen to tempt us. And unfortunately, when we become saved, we still have to deal with the old nature, the old man, our sinfulness, its deceitful lusts. But we can't overcome these things through the power of the Holy Spirit that God gives us. And we have the ability to resist and to beat down the flesh and let God rule in our hearts. 
But we have to be committed to that. We also have to fight the enticements of the world, and we're not going to name them all today, but there are many. And there's so much out there that can detract us from God's ways, steal our time, our energy, our devotion. And again, we have to be constantly vigilant, constantly trusting God, committing our ways to him. And then we have to stand against the wiles of the devil. Ephesians chapter 6 again. And we put on the whole armor of God. We battle in the power of God's might, not our own. And as King Jesus conquered all these enemies, he gives us the ability to do so as well. So we have the promise that we will be victorious over those enemies that try to destroy us and pull us away from God. And then he closes with this great challenge in verses 26 to 28. And the challenge really confronts us every day. What are you going to do? If you want to be blessed by God, what are you going to do? Well, you've got to be committed to him. So what does Moses do? He sets this before the people. He says in verse 26, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. Well, what's the blessing? The blessing is if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, then as we have seen, God can bless you. But on the other hand, verse 28, there's the curse. If you do not obey the commandment of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. So you've got a choice every day, don't you? A choice that will result in blessing, a choice that will result in cursing. Choose the wrong way, the way of the world, succumb to to your lust of self-gratification. You cannot be blessed by the Lord. You're going to face his chastisement instead. And choosing the way of the Lord is not easy, but it's always best. Knowing the goodness of the Lord, knowing the blessing of being saved, knowing what he promises to give us is a great Motivation to be committed to him every day. He always proves himself faithful and true. If you want an abundant life, one that overflows with joy and love and peace and all the fruit of the Spirit of God, and for God to to take care of your every material need, then you need to commit your ways to the Lord every day. It's right there. If you want to see your children and your grandchildren serve the Lord, Uh, then stay on the path of grace and faith and show them your commitment. Teach them God's ways in your home. And if you want victory over those sins that, that plague you, over those temptations that are so strong and mighty, the vacuous pull of the world, then hold fast to the Lord who will give you the strength to be victorious and obedient. Commit your way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful, Lord, today that you make it so clear what you expect from your people. We realize, Lord, today that without you, we are nothing and we can't do any of these things.
We don't have the capacity, the power, the might, the strength to do them. We'll fail every time. So, Lord, you've called upon us to put our faith and trust in you for the strength we need to overcome. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, in your word and power of the Holy Spirit, we can do exactly that. We can be committed to you. And Lord, as we determine that we'll be committed, we see that we're going to receive a reward for that. We're going to be blessed by you in all these different ways. We're going to have an abundant life that helps us to grow deep in the word of God and understand its teachings and, and uh, grow in grace and knowledge. We see, Lord, that we're going to, to have an extended family of believers in you that will go on from generation to generation and influence their world for Christ. And Lord, we see that we'll be able to defeat the enemies of the soul, even our own inner desires to please ourselves, as well as resisting the world and the temptations of the devil. So Lord, help us today to submit to your word. Help us to choose life. Help us to choose blessing by being committed to you. Now, Lord, we pray that you'll help us today to renew that commitment and continue with it throughout this coming year. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.